Have you ever been at a place where you needed a comeback story? That's the story of the Apostle Peter, and maybe that's your story as well. Well, happy Easter. Welcome to the crossing. Wow, there is a lot of people in here. It is so good to see you. So good to have you here. And if this is your first time here, we're especially glad to have you here. Honored that you would join us for Easter, and I would love to buy you lunch. Next week, I'm hosting a Discover Lunch where I'd like to personally meet you and just tell you more about what we're doing at the cross and what God is doing here, because we think that God is just doing some amazing things at this place. Well, everybody loves a good comeback story. Maybe you remember the 1993 Buffalo Bills. They were in the playoffs, and as they were, in the, they were playing in the playoffs, they were down 35-3 to in the second half. The backup quarterback, Frank Wright, comes in, and he throws four touchdowns in a row, and they come back, and they win it in overtime. It was the greatest comeback in NFL history. We even call the game the comeback game. But right now, we're in the middle of March Madness, and I am certain that every one of your brackets has been busted a long time ago. But last weekend, Texas A&M was down 12 points with 34 seconds to go. They come back and they end up winning the game in double overtime. It is the greatest comeback in March Madness history. But today is Easter. And we know what this means because of the resurrection of Jesus. It is the greatest comeback of all time. Of all time. And we get to be a part of what Jesus has done. I think one of the hardest jobs of a parent is teaching your kids how to drive. I've done this three times. When Josiah, my son, when he got his license, we were driving home from the DMV, and I was giving him the whole speech on what he needed to do. But I said, if you get a flat tire, you need to know what to do. So before you take this car out, you're going to have to learn how to change the tire. So as soon as we got back from the DMV, we pulled the car right in front of the house. And so I told him, you need to go get the jack out of the trunk. And I made him jack the car up. And then he got the lug wrench and started undoing all of the lug nuts. And then I had him take the tire off and set it aside. Had him get the, the spare tire out of the trunk and put it on and then tighten it up. Now, all of you who are parents of teenagers, you're taking notes right now. I mean, this may be the reason that you came right now is this small one right here. Now, Josiah was not happy with me, but he knew if he wanted to take the car out, this is what he had to do. Well, when my daughter, Corey, when she got her license, the way home from the DMV, I gave her the same speech said, if you have a flat tire, you need to know what to do. So you need to learn how to change tire. So we get home from the DMV. We pull the car right in front of the street in front of our house, tell her to get the jack out. And she gets the jack out, and she starts jacking up the car, and she's having trouble. So I say, here, I'll go ahead, and I'll finish jacking up the car. Then I have her get the lug wrench out, and she's, she's unable to, to loosen the lug nuts. I go, okay, well, here, let me show you. And so I undid all of the lug nuts. And then I pulled the tire off. I go, are you watching? Yeah, Dad, I'm watching. This is how you change the tire. I set it aside. I get the spare out of the trunk, and I put it on, and I tighten it all up. I go, did you get that? She goes, yeah, Dad, I think I've got that. She said, can I go inside when you put this all back together? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Go, go inside. <laughs> well, my youngest, Taylor, when she got her license on the way home from the DMV, same speech, flat tire, got to know what to do. And so we pull up in front of the house, and I take out my wallet. I take out my AAA card. I hand it to her. If you ever get a flat tire, you just call these guys right here. They'll come change it for you. True story. As a dad, here's, here's what I knew. 
The question was not if my kids would have a flat tire. The question was when they have a flat tire. And when they have a flat tire, they need to know what to do. And the question for you and me is not if we will need a comeback, a new beginning, a fresh start, a new direction in our life. It's just a matter of when. And the Easter, and while Easter is the greatest comeback of all time, when you are a follower of Jesus, every one of our comeback stories are woven into the resurrection. And that is the story of the Apostle Peter. And I want to give you four snapshots of Peter's life, and I'm just convinced that you will find your story in his story. The first scene of Peter's life is at the Sea of Galilee. Our first glimpse of Peter is he's a fisherman, he's at work. And in Jesus' time, fishing was not a hobby. People did not take their fishing poles and go out on the weekends as something to relax. Fishing was big business, and you could make a lot of money. And for these fishermen, this net, this represented their livelihood. This represented their career. This was something that was passed on from generation to generation. Because if you were a fisherman, your dad was a fisherman, and your dad's dad was a fisherman. But more than that, this net represented your identity. It was your social class. And fishing was hard work. There was a couple different ways that they would fish. One is that they would have a drag net, and they would actually drag the net behind the boat as they would sail, and that was done during the daytime. But the best fishing was at night. And they would take a net like this, and what they would do is, is they would throw it out, and it would sink down, and it would trap the fish, and then they would pull the fish in. Well, this is the kind of fishing the Apostle Peter was doing in Luke chapter 5, that he's out all night long, and he's fishing, and, and in the morning, Jesus shows up, and Jesus gets in Peter's boat, and he uses Peter's boat as a stage to teach the people who, the crowds who had come to hear him. They're all crowded around here at the Sea of Galilee. And then in Luke chapter 5, this is what we read beginning in verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, now do you understand what Jesus is asking? That this net was used for nighttime fishing. You don't use it during the day. And on top of that, Peter had just finished washing the nets. This was the worst part of the job. You would come in from fishing all night long. And you would wash the nets and you would repair them. You would make sure all the weeds and the rocks were out of them. You'd lay them out to dry so that they'd be ready for the next night. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I mean, you can understand his frustration. We've worked all night long. We've cleaned these nets. We just want to go home and go to bed. Jesus, you're a great teacher, but you're not a fisherman. Yeah, I know fishing. Why don't you just stick with the rabbi gig? Do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel like God knows about spiritual stuff? God knows about heaven. God knows about prayer and about faith. But when it comes to running your life and your business and your family and your kids, you feel like God is kind of clueless. Well, later on here in verse 5, Peter says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Don't miss this. 
Because every time God did something big in the Bible, it followed obedience. You have Moses, where God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And so he goes. And then God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. Noah built an ark and God saved his entire family. Jesus went to the blind man and he told him to to put mud on his eyes and to go wash them out. Every time God does something big in the Bible, it follows obedience. So in your life, where is God waiting for you to say, because you say so? God, because you say so. See, oftentimes we want God to show up first. God, give me lots of money, and then I'll give back to you. God, fix my marriage, and then I promise that I'll be faithful. God, get me out of this mess, and I will follow you. But that is never the way that God works. Well, Peter throws his net into the water, and he has the largest catch of fish that he's ever had. And he realizes that something is different about Jesus. He bows down at his feet and Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. He had just witnessed the biggest catch of his life, which meant he had just made the most money he had ever made in a day. And Jesus says to him, I have bigger things for you. And he left everything. He left his nets behind. He left his boats behind, and he followed Jesus. Well, fast forward three years. Three years later, they're in an upstairs room. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. And every great story has a moment of crisis where the character is at a crossroads that will define their life. And this is that moment for Peter. Peter was with Jesus when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was with Jesus when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. That he was there when Jesus took on the religious leaders and Jesus let them have it. He was there when Jesus forgave a woman caught in adultery. He saw it all. He was on the inside circle, but on this night, Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And Jesus says, tonight, you will all fall away and you'll be scattered. Well, in normal Peter fashion, because Peter is brash, and he says things before he even thinks, he says, even if everyone else falls away, I never will. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Tonight you will deny me three times. And Peter, he had this nickname called the rock. So you can imagine what he looked like. Nobody's ever nicknamed me the rock ever. (laughs) But he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And he was ready. When Jesus was arrested, Peter gets out his sword and he is ready to die for Jesus. But Jesus says, this isn't how we do this. And he's arrested and he's taken to trial. And then they begin to beat him. and, And Peter is in the courtyard watching all of this happen. And a teenage girl comes up to Peter and says, you were with Jesus. I saw you with Jesus. And he's intimidated by this teenage girl. He goes, it wasn't me. I don't know who you saw, but it wasn't me. It happens a second time, and then it happens a third time. And the third time, Peter actually begins to curse, to call down curses. And he says, I don't know who it was, but I don't know him. 
And the rooster crows and the gospel of Luke says that Jesus looked across the courtyard and made eye contact with Peter. And Peter left and wept bitterly. I mean, this was the turning point of his life. That at one point his identity was as a fisherman. But then Jesus called him and his identity became a disciple of Christ. Now his his identity is a failure. Well, Jesus would be crucified, and he would be buried in a tomb, and fast forward to Sunday morning, two days later. Mary Magdalene is the first one who's to the tomb. Mary was a follower of Jesus. She had been healed by Jesus, and she was going to anoint Jesus' body. She was, she was going to take care of it. Why was she doing that? Well, because men had prepared the body first, and it was not done right, and so she was coming in to fix it, to make sure it was done right. She shows up to the tomb, and it's empty. And Mary didn't say, well, he has risen. She didn't even think that. Even though Jesus said that he had to die and he would rise again, nobody was expecting this. Nobody was expecting that. She just figured that his body had been stolen. And she goes to Peter and John. She says, I don't know what they've done with him, but his body is gone. And in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 3, It says, so Peter and the other disciples started towards the tomb. Now, John, one of the 12 disciples, it's how he refers to himself as the other disciple. Many times he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, which is kind of cool. Jesus liked the other 11 disciples. I'm the one he loved. It says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Not only am I the one that Jesus loves, I'm a faster runner than Peter. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then just as you would expect Simon Peter to do, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he wants us to know I was there first, he went inside. He saw and he believed says they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had arise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Even though Jesus said that he had to die and rise again, the disciples didn't get it. They were not expecting a physical resurrection. And at this point, they leave and they don't know what has happened. Over the next few days, Jesus will appear to them. The disciples are actually in that upstairs room and they have the doors locked because they're scared. And then Jesus just shows up in the room. He doesn't use the door because when you rise from the dead, you don't need to use doors anymore. And he shows up and his first words to them is, do not be afraid. Why did he say that? Because when you're locked in a room with the door shut and somebody just shows up, it's kind of scary. He says, do not be afraid. And Jesus begins to appear to his disciples. Well, fast forward a few weeks later. And Peter is no longer in Jerusalem. He's about 70 miles away at the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place where he first met Jesus three years before. But Peter's no longer traveling with Jesus. He's not with Jesus as Jesus is teaching the crowds and healing people and feeding the 5,000. Peter has gone back to the only job that he's ever known, which is catching fish. And in John, John chapter 21... Verse 3, 
He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Some of the other disciples were there as well. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, I want you to understand what is really going on here. Because for Peter, he was admitting that he was finished. That's why he had gone back to fishing. He'd gone back to his old life, his old job, because he had a chance at following Jesus. And he blew it. He had denied Jesus three times. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been in a place where you made a big promise to God. And you told everyone that you were going to change. And you told them these commitments that you were making in your life. And then somewhere along the way, you fell flat on your face. And you blew it. You made some huge mistake. You did something that you thought that you would never do. And the enemy whispers into your ear, you've let God down. He whispers into your ear, you've let yourself down again. Don't even bother coming back to church. Don't bother praying because God's fed up with you. He's not going to listen. You've blown it for the last time. And we believe those lies. When Jesus shows up, the disciples have been fishing all night long and they haven't caught anything. Sound familiar? Because this story is going to parallel the first story of when Jesus called Peter. In verse 4, it says, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. The way this is translated in English kind of misses the tone of what Jesus says here. Because when Jesus says, haven't you any fish, this is in the negative. Let me tell you how we would say this today. We would say it like this. We would say, how's that working for you? Because Jesus already knows the answer. He's on the shore going, that fishing, how's that working for you over there? And it says, then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now listen, these guys are professional fishermen. They know how to fish. And they've been out all night long. And there is no doubt that they've thrown the net on the right side, the left side, the front, the back. They've thrown it everywhere. And you can almost hear the sarcasm coming from the boat. Oh, the right side. We didn't even think of that, did we? Okay, we'll throw it on the right side. It says, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. This is exactly what had happened the first time Jesus calls Peter. There's so much fish that they can't haul it all in. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his, his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. I mean, this is so Peter. It's like, I'm not even going to wait for the, the boat to get to the shore. I'm just going to swim. Then the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus invites them to have breakfast. Now, can you imagine this moment? You must have been able to cut the tension with a knife as they're sitting around wondering what Jesus is going to say to them. 
for Peter wondering what Jesus is going to say to him. But there's no lecture. There's no condemnation. There's no rebuke. There's just acceptance. And after breakfast, Peter, Jesus invites Peter to go for a walk. And he asks him a series of questions. He actually asks him one question, but he asks him three times. He says to Peter, he says, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. Can you imagine what this must have felt like for Peter? It must have been like a knife going into him because he was embarrassed. He was humiliated for denying Jesus. And now Jesus asks him, do you love me? And he says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Then Jesus asks it a second time. Do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And I think the reason that he asked three times, I think it's because Peter had denied Jesus three times and Jesus wants this to be cemented into his mind that he has a new, a new hope, a new beginning. This is part of his comeback. But by this time, Peter is frustrated and he's hurt. And he just says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus was telling Peter and all of us who have ever needed a comeback, that even though you've blown it, you're not done. Even though that you've made a mistake, you're not disqualified. Jesus is saying to Peter, I told you three years ago that you would be a fisher of men, and that has not changed. I wonder if Jesus is saying to some of you, how's that working for you? And he's not asking for information because he already knows. He's looking at where your life is, and he's saying, how's that working for you? Let me ask this a different way. What is your net? What is that part of your life that when you fail, that you go back to? Because for so many of us, when we fail, we go back to where we had come from. We go back to that old life. I'm just going to go back to that addiction. Because I messed up too many times. God, God's done with me. I'm just going to go back into that old relationship, that bad relationship, and I know it's destructive for me. But God's not going to want to have a relationship with me after what I've done. I'm just going to go back into that old life, those old friends, those bad habits. And what we find happening is we go back to the place that God had once rescued us from. Well, Jesus says to Peter the same words that he had said to him three years before. In John chapter 21, verse 19, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. It is the same words that Jesus had said to him three years before. And nothing has changed. Follow me. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 23 says that God's mercies are new every morning. That God's mercies for you, they are new every 
morning. And maybe you feel like your best days are behind you. And you would never say that out loud. But that's what you feel like inside, that your best days are behind you because at one point you felt like you were right with God, that you had promise, and you failed, you've done something, and you just feel like your best days are behind you and God could never use you again. Well, let me tell you what the resurrection means for you and me. See, here's the bottom line is that God's greatest plan for you is Jesus, period. God's greatest plan for you is Jesus. And when Jesus is your greatest plan, the best is yet to come. See, this is what Easter's about. It's the story of Easter. Because of the resurrection, you can have a comeback story. And Jesus says that's not only possible, that's God's plan. Do you know what Jesus would say to you today? Follow me. Just follow me. But you don't know about my past. Follow me. But you don't know about all the mistakes that I keep making. Follow me. But you don't know about my problems. You don't know about my secrets. Follow me. Here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do today. It's for you to take your net, whatever that is, wherever you have found your identity at some point in your life. And I want to give the opportunity for you to drop your nets and to follow Jesus, that you can do that today. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do this. Starting a relationship with Jesus starts by you surrendering your life to him. It's transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus. And every single person in the Bible who chose to follow Jesus, they were baptized. It was the next step. If today, if you're at that place of going, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. Your next step is to be baptized. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for many years, but you've never been baptized. This is your next step. See, baptism is like the wedding ceremony for a believer. It's a believer saying, I'm in till death do us part. Baptism represents the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is how you participate in the resurrection of Jesus. It's through baptism. Maybe you saw our pool out there. We've been baptizing people after every service. We've had 83 people who've been baptized so far this weekend. Isn't that amazing? Some of you, you came prepared to be baptized today. But there's others, you, you say, well, I, I wish I would have prepared. I wish I would have known. Well, we prepared for you. We have clothes for you. And we have towels for you. And we have plastic bags so you don't get the leather seats in your car all wet on your way home. And we've heated the pool. It is 80 degrees. We are ready for you. There is no better day than to be baptized than Easter. 
I mean, this is the day. This is the day. So I want to do something different. I want to do something that I have rarely done. That I'm going to ask everyone in just a minute who is choosing to surrender their life to Jesus, choosing to follow Jesus, to stand. And then I also want those who are making a decision to be baptized to stand as well. And here's what I want you to do this. Because I want this moment to be cemented into your mind that you'll remember it forever. You'll remember what God has done in you forever. And when I ask you to stand, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm just going to pray for you. And I know for some of you, you're wrestling with this right now. You're like, it just feels kind of awkward. I just feel awkward about the whole thing. Well, think of how I feel if no one stands up. So we're in this together, okay? And so in a minute, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to stand up. But here's what the rest of us are going to do. The rest of us, we're going to cheer them on. Because the Bible says, when one person chooses to come to Christ, that there is more rejoicing in heaven than over 99 who don't need to. So the rest of us, we're going to cheer them on. Are you ready? Okay. So for those of you who are ready, that today's your day. You're ready to follow Jesus. This is your moment. One, two, three. Is there anybody? Awesome. I love it. Congratulations. Congratulations. So cool. Congratulations. Is there anybody else? Fantastic. Just stay standing. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you in this moment because I never want you to forget this. God, thank you for those who had the courage to stand up. And God, for even those who didn't have the courage to stand up physically, but spiritually they're standing up. They're ready. God, thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross to forgive us our sins. And then he, he proved it when he rose from the dead three days later. And that our story can be a comeback story. And so, God, thank you for every person who's standing here who is weaving their comeback story into the resurrection of Jesus. God, we honor you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.